G'day and welcome back to the Talking Leadership TV podcast series. This is our last podcast for October and I'd like to present our guest, Anita Hobson-Powell. She's an eminent figure in the health, sport and fitness realm, currently serving as the CEO of Exercise and Sports Science Australia, EWSA, since 2006. It's been through her visionary leadership that she's propelled the organisation to unprecedented heights over an almost two-decade period. Anita's career has been dedicated to excellence across the the health, sport and fitness domains. Her academic journey includes a Bachelor of Applied Science in Human Movement, complemented with two master's degrees in both science and business. Her extensive educational background has equipped her with a comprehensive understanding that helps to bridge both theory and practice. With an eye on effective governance, Anita holds a graduate certificate in company directorship, showcasing her commitment to strategic leadership and corporate governance. Beyond Anita's role at EWSA, she's also extended her experience and influence across her industry as the current chair of the National Alliance of Self-Regulating Health Professions and is the vice chair of the Allied Health Professions Australia. In the past, she's held board positions with Gymnastics Australia and has been the chair of Gymnastics Queensland. Nita's the proud mother of two active children, Isabella involved in life-saving and Xavier involved in gymnastics. This was a great podcast. I know you'll enjoy the content, but enough from me. I'll hand over to our guest today, Anita. Well, firstly, thanks for, for having me. Um, my leadership journey, I would describe as not, I would say, the traditional pathway that, that most people go on. Um, I didn't sort of rise through the ranks of taking on various uh, roles. I sort of jumped right in there. Um, so I was... Um, on maternity leave with my my daughter and and I was wanting to come back to full-time work but I wanted to find something that I was passionate about I had left my old job was wasn't sort of fitting in with the culture there and I saw a job with my professional association so I had sort of lost a bit of touch with them but I thought you know this would be great to get back in my into I guess my grassroots of where I come from and it was an executive officer role. So it was their head role at the, at the time. And I applied, and this was uh, almost 17 years ago now. And um, I got this phone call and said, oh, we've got your application in, but you're not being shortlisted. You don't have um, all the skills and experience that we're looking for. And I wasn't the typical female that put in an application once they meet all the requirements. I certainly didn't meet them all, but I thought, you know, I'll put my hand in. Um, and they said, but we've got a different role. Would you be interested in, in applying for that? And I was like, sure. So I went in and I, and I got that role. Um, they were still recruiting for their executive officer role and they'd gone through two rounds of recruiting and, and hadn't found someone. And so during that time, I actually just started doing the job. I wasn't I wasn't asked to do it, but there was just two of us in the office. It wasn't very big and, and stuff needed to get done. So I just started doing it. And three months later, there was a board meeting and apparently I was the topic of discussion. And after that board meeting, I got a call to say, we've been watching you in what you've been doing, the way you've stepped up, the work that you've produced for us we'll give you a go. So I started a month later and um, grown ever since. So uh, the first thing I did was enroll in, a, in an MBA 
And um, so, yeah, so it's almost 17 years now. Started with two staff. We've got 50 staff now. And so my leadership journey has been learning on the job and just doing lots of professional development, having external mentors or coaches to help me along the way because I didn't start with just doing a little team and then growing into a bigger team and and going what most people do. I jumped in feet first and um, had to learn it that way. So it's very, very different. But at the same time, I did a lot of volunteer work. So I had been volunteering since I was early 20s and so I'd sat on committees and done leadership work in that space. Um, And then I've sat on boards for 15 years now. So I think some of my my leadership has been done from my volunteer work as well. So I've now been uh, chairs or presidents of three boards. I'm on uh, a vice chair of one board at the moment as well. So, you know, it's just, I wouldn't say it's the normal pathway and it's probably not the pathway I would encourage people to go down, but I've just been someone where I just step up when I get opportunities and give things a go and hopefully people will recognise it. That's interesting. Thank you for sharing that. I um, I was thinking in my head, how do you, how do I respond to, what at the start sounded like an accidental yes. pathway into leadership, I'd be a lot more um be a lot more generous in my review of that because I think you stepped up when nobody asked you to, you saw a need and you just started doing the work without any expectations. And um what really is authentic leadership um from a theory perspective to what does it look like practically on the ground and um yeah it's, it's it's interesting that you can pave your own pathway your board members or somebody sees what you're doing and goes you know we spend a lot of time trying to recruit people that never quite fit the bill and we had some someone here to do the job and we didn't know it so yeah that that's it's, it's an interesting way to go and um the progression then when you said you you're on board and you enroll to do your mba I think that's a path that's well trodden by people. Um, and over the, um, if, if 17 years, sorry, is the amount of time that you spent with EWSA, then yeah, you would expect that these things would be coming along as, as your experience grows and you sort of morph from where you were with two staff members, including yourself, to where you are now in, in terms of building the, the organization. So that, that's, um, it, it's it's fascinating to me because one decision, one slight different way, and you could have been doing a whole absolutely lot of other things and, and not know what those things are. And I don't want to sit here and reminisce about what the what ifs of life, but, you know, things can happen. So in that time then, in, in your two decades of service almost to, to your industry sector and even outside of that, has that, shaped your definition of what you see leadership is? Yeah, look, I think a lot of my leadership style has come from uh, my previous leaders and what I did like, to be honest. Um, I probably made sure that I I did become that person. Um, And, you know, I guess some of your leadership style has has evolved based on, you know, trial and error as well. you know, give giving things a go. And sometimes what's written in the textbooks don't work in, in practicality. So I think it's working out what's what's best for you. Um, but I think my my 
true self and being a leader is really acknowledging that I'm motivating, pulling a team together to achieve direction, um, acknowledging that I will not be the technical expert in most of the cases and nor should I expect to be, um, and feeling comfortable in that. And I think the the big thing that changed from when you, you're, there's two of you to there's 50 of you is actually pulling back. So um, I used to know a lot about how things were done in the organisation and and could answer any question one of our members used to phone up about. I, I can't do that now. And, you know, it was pulling back and going, do I need to? No, I've got people who are experts in that space. My space is setting the direction of the organisation, coaching, supporting, giving feedback, um, making sure there's good collaboration and communication through the organisation. But that technical stuff, that's not me anymore. And, and it, it it was a hard thing to do at first of going, goodness, I don't know this anymore, but I know who knows. So I'd say that that's been the change in my leadership is really pulling back on that technical side of things. Thank you for your honesty. Um, and I've, I've spoken to a lot of leaders who said that, that at some point, how do you sever the connection and allow the people um, that are working for you to demonstrate their expertise? And I, I think it's a, a sign of, of a very good leader that you can separate yourself from some of it and get some work-life balance because I, I would suggest to you and for those that might be watching or listening to this that if you've grown from 2 to 50 there's a lot of work to be done. And if you've got your head around every single nuance of every single single thing that you're doing in the business, it's not healthy. It's not healthy long term. You can't be the only point, the only touch point of contact um in in the organization. So yeah, now I'm I'm hearing you there. Oh, I guess if I can if uh with your indulgence, uh, just a slight follow-up to that, do you think your style has morphed? over that time or have you been fairly consistent through your leadership pathway? Um, I would say a bit of, bit of both. Um, there has been, there's elements of me which is, is still there. Um, some would say it's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, around, you know, I I am the CEO of the organisation. So I, I'm, I would say the mother hen, I will protect my team no matter what so if something goes wrong and we have to talk to the board it's on my head you know I I will never throw any of my staff un, under the bus so that part of me has always been consistent the other thing I guess from day one I will jump in and help when I can and um, you know yes I'm supposed to be hands-off in some things but you know, if there's big projects going on or there's deadlines that are brewing that, you know, we're struggling with, I don't care who I am. I will get in and help help my team, um, even if it's washing the dishes. Like I don't, that's me. I will always step in and help, um, which, you know, sometimes I can't say no, which, you know, make, goes back to your point before of there's a lot to, to go on. But I think the part of me that has morphed around is, you know, what am I responsible for and what do I need to have knowledge for? That's been the change of, you know, like I said before, that technical side of things. I don't need to be across it. I don't need to know it. 
Um, I'm always, I'm seeing it because I've been here so long. I am the historian. So they'll come to me and ask, well, why did, why did this decision happen? Can you tell us why this project failed? And so, you know, I, I am the historian of the organisation, but pulling back to go, you know, you know this area, you're going to go and do it and I'm giving you permission. Um, that's, the, that's the part that's morphed of, of, you know, not having that, I guess, expertise in those spaces a- anymore. Um, and I think the other part that you've morphed around is, you know, you're managing your team, your people. So it's more that people management, being that uh, coach, mentor for your other managers or your executive team and helping them do what they need to do best um, is probably where I spend most of my time now. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So um, if we can segue to the next era, and this is around key leadership issues in your mind and I, I want to put this to you in this way that you, you can either come at this from a sector perspective, so where you're working at the moment, or just key leadership issues more broadly. So what what's out there in that space that, that's um, getting you to think about leadership process or leadership issues at the moment? Yeah, if I talk about sector first, is where we cross over health, sport, fitness. So we, we're across a broad breadth. But I guess in the health sector, um, doctors and nurses always are top of mind for government, regulatory bodies, um, and we work in the allied health. So our lobbying, our presence with government us advocating on behalf of the community to make sure they get access to appropriate services is is growing and you know we're starting to see government um, see the value in allied health a little bit more so it is it's being present it's showing the evidence it's showing how their local constituents are going to get better access to services so um, for me um all the allied health professions, we need to stand together. We cannot do this alone. There is 21 of us. And so I see part of my role being around so long is how do I support the others to come on board? How how do we collaborate and work together not to be in solos? Um, And that's a big part of who I am is I do like to, to collaborate. So I think that's a lot of my leadership role and what I influence my team is to work with other associations to have a bigger, powerful voice. The other sector that within the health is we are also self-regulation. So uh, we're not under national regulation of of the government. So um, about a third of the health workforce are under national registration. The rest of us the government leaves it to us to um, administer it. Um, and there's there's a bit of a grumbling around how that will change and, and what that should look like. And so one of my board hat roles is um, I chair the National Alliance of Self-Regulating Health Professions. And so a lot of work I do these days is, again, working with my counterparts in the self-regulation space of how can we do better? How can we give confidence to the government that we are just um, as capable, we provide just as good at outcomes than the registered health professions? 
How do we make sure legislation is written so it doesn't exclude us from providing health services? So a lot of my leadership's role these days is working with my counterparts to make sure that we've got united voices and how we are also united in making sure there's structural changes within our own organisations so we can put a united face up to the to the government. I think the, the other space is um, if I look more internally around associations and what we're doing is, you know, the consumer, our members want, you know, more for less or, you know, they're expecting more for paying the same amount of money. And I, I know you work for one too. That is, you know, how do we provide leadership internally and externally around the value that we provide, that things do come at a cost or how do we provide leadership around the expectations of our members of, you know, we might have provided this service for 10 years and it's been great, but now it's out of date. It's not to say the service we did before is wrong, but it's just not needed now and there's something else. So I think a lot of the leadership stuff is looking around what your membership needs, but also sometimes they don't know what they need. So, you know, what is coming through in the environment we have to prepare them for and therefore how do you lead your team to make sure that they're continually reflecting on the services and offerings that they're provided and seeing that change is not a criticism. It's just we need to evolve. And I think that that point of change, people will often go, but what's been wrong with what I'm doing? And it's nothing. It's the world has moved on and we need to move on. Oh, that's great. Um, and I guess in that in the space where you talked about regulation and working with government and, and what does the future of that look like, that, that you know, that's the space in which CEOs, the, the leaders of organisations need to be playing in. And so the going back to that disconnect from the operations of where you're working now to the big strategic stuff is the move away from one to the other is um is part of the progression of, of you becoming more senior in your role and um it's you know this formula has worked for however long we've had positions that that require a title as you have and i have and that um you're expected to be thinking those couple of steps ahead and um yeah, dealing with government has its own amazing little quirks and idiosyncrasies that I won't get into here, but you you know exactly what I'm uh, referring to there. So, what what fascinates me about the discussion at this point is I I think I could pick out some of the leader capabilities that might be very important for you, but I'm not going to voice them now because I'm allow you to do that. So, from your perspective, Anita, what are those core leader capabilities um so i think first of all is is being able to have a vision for the organization and not just thinking one year in advance two years in advance so you know we're just writing our 10-year vision for the organization so you know where do we want to take up our organization but also our members where do we see their opportunities um i think then it's being able to influence um or enable then the workforce to deliver that and inspire inspire them to also see that that vision. Um, you know, sometimes it's really hard to look so far in advance. And so, you know, how do you influence them that this is the the direction to go? 
Um, the other part is um, how do you ensure that there's collaboration within the organisation and they're not working in their different silos? So how, how do you ensure that there's uh, the right people around the room discussing topics? How do you ensure that there is um, communication channels to ensure that everyone is, is up to date and, and all that? Um, the other part is ensuring that you're enabling your organisation. So uh, one, it's the people. Like I was saying before, how, how do I step back and make sure that you give permission for people to go do what they're good at, have their own ideas uh, of how things would work? Um, then obviously it's the, having the systems in place to make sure that they can do that. Um, the last one is... Um, the accountability of, you know, how do you set the the measures that we're going to want to achieve and how are you reporting on them and making sure that everything's tracking and, and you're monitoring those those types of things. So I think they're the, the core things for me. Yeah, that's um it's an interesting list. Um the part of the logic of asking that that particular question is for for every discussion I've had it's never the same one guest to the other. And I think it can be crafted in some ways from the influence of the industry sector that you might be working in, be that um, for profit or not for profit. And given everything you've said, and I know you're probably sick of being asked this, but I'm going to ask this anyway, we are in a post-COVID environment in, term, in terms of organisations. And I just wanted to ask you to get your perspective here what do you think, if anything, has changed in the way leaders do the business of leadership? Do you think there's been any change? Um, I'm going to say yes and no. Like I still think the core is the same, but I just think there is elements that has um, a bit more highlight has been shown on those, those things. So I think the core one for most people has been how how is leadership visible you know because most people now have a hybrid workplace um i've been in the position i've actually been hybrid for 10 years now so you know covid to me didn't do a whole lot but my workforce is so there was an element of it so how do you how is your leadership visible if you're not in the office or if your team's not in the office so um you know you always wanted to have your leadership visible. It's just now you have to consider it slightly differently in the messaging, um, your actions, reinforcing it. So, you know, it's there. It's just in a different light. I think um, I'd say the key thing that I feel that um, we've had to step up, and it's still not just COVID. I think it's the world that we're in at the moment is I think leaders need to really see that they're the drivers of change. You know, they haven't, if you're anti-change, you can't be a leader in, in this world right now. So COVID forced us to take a lot of risks. We needed to implement a lot of changes if we were going to survive, if we're going to, you know, keep our workforce, our businesses open. So if you were anti-change, anti you know, you were going to struggle. But I think we're still in that, that world with uh, technology, AI coming through, like change management and your acceptability of change. 
but also making it visible that, you know, you need to be the first to be on board with the change and and show your vulnerability about the change that's going on and share the wins or the, the losses about the changes that are going on. So I would say there's been, yeah, main, major differences. I just think a few things have become a bit more apparent. And I'd say the last one is that risk. You know, I think we've all been forced to take a bit of a risk around a few things to put in place to ensure that our business would survive. I think we'll st we'll still need to be able to continue to take take risks and and um, probably more than we did before. Yeah, a couple of interesting points there for me. Yeah, like yourself, I was and still am uh, fully remote, and so COVID didn't impact me in the ways that it did others. And the impact on your workforce is was exceptionally critical and that being present and whatever present actually looked like was really important uh particularly for those of us that enjoy being in amongst the other humans when you're doing your work now I, I love humanity love my family all the rest of it but I can work on my own and don't need other people to energize myself whereas those that are completely the other way COVID would have been extremely difficult and the, the hybridised nature of work, all those things you mentioned will set different challenges into the future, I would posit. Um, the last point you made around risk, that's an interesting one because is it risk or is it um, uh, the best guesstimate you can make based on what you know? And so it's not pure risk, but there is that always that element of risk there. And I, I, I like I yes, like that you went there. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's what I was, that's the term I was looking for. So, yeah, it's very interesting. Now, Anita, I want to ask you the nature versus nurture question. Are leaders born or are they made? I'm going to say both. Um, so what I'm going to say both is I think if you go look into a kindergarten playground, primary school playground, you can see the leaders very clearly and you can see the followers very clearly so you know there there are people right from the start that that have that ability to pull a team together and and uh decide what we're doing um but then I think that yeah you can absolutely uh learn to be a leader and I think you can be learn you can learn to be a leader in in various um elements however I think I strongly believe that the earlier that you get exposure to do that the better and you know um I think the opportunities in schools you know giving people you know they don't need the titles but giving them leadership responsibilities or in the sporting teams giving them leadership responsibilities I think the more kids who have exposure to that the better um, because you'll you'll see they'll naturally rise up a, a little bit better. So you know, I I try and I push it upon my kids. To be honest, you know, they've had to learn to be um, take on leadership responsibilities from a young age. Um, but they just do it naturally now, um, particularly my daughter. Um, but I think yeah, no, you can certainly um, take it on board, and you know, even into your thirties, forties, I think you can still be learning um, how to become a leader. I do think, though, that particularly if you're um, learning to be the leader, it's it's an internal drive that this is something that you want. I can't, I don't think anyone who's forced into a leadership role 
ever really believes in themselves or or thinks that they will do a good job. So I think, you know, it, it has to come from a place of internal drive. Um, but I think it's it's giving people, and I think for CEOs and other leaders out there, is how do you expose your team to take on leadership roles who don't have the title? So, you know, we have various committees um, or projects which is the manager's not allowed to be the leader. You know, we're trying to get people to, to get that exposure of those skills, to be able to corral teams, to be able to set the expectations, to motivate, to keep the project tracking. Um, because, you know, you don't always want to see the, the CEO or the managers being the stick of driving everything. You, you want to see it across the teams. And I think it gives, you know, I've got a lot of people in the office that, you know, it helps with their feeling of self-worth of, you know, they've achieved something and, you know, that's great. You know, you want to be able to encourage that. So, um, yeah, I think I think it can be learnt, but I think sometimes it needs people like us to help and support people step up. Um, and I think it's also, you know, in some places, well, even though I've said I've had a different journey, is for some people to say, okay, well, I had to do this. I had to go through all these different leadership roles to get into my role. It's, it's step back and going, you know, this is this person. What is What are the opportunities? And, and not feel like they have to go through the same uh, check marks that you had to go through in, in your leadership journey as well. Yeah, there's no uh, right pathway there for sure. And the, this idea that you need to have the time served and take the lumps and bumps like everyone else had to I, I I don't put a lot of stock into that. Um, there in some industry sectors though, understandable that you need experience, you need training, you need to move through those leadership levels. And I'm thinking about classic medicine doctors and in in some other professions in the legal profession, but in other industry sectors you don't need that. And I've, um, I'm I'm hearing exactly what you're saying and that interesting mix there that, that you talked about where when you're looking at giving other people an opportunity to step up and practice and harness their leadership skills even without the title. Um, not that that's ever bothered me, but I, I, I can see where you're going with that and it's a good training ground to see if you've got some diamonds in the rough that you weren't aware of that might step up and do something into the future and that in-house promotion, in-house um skills and and uh, professional development and talent management is important and how often we do that depends on how much time you've got to devote to doing that but it seems like you sort of set your ecosystem up to do that for yourself and it's a nice way to do it because one you don't have to spend money to get someone externally come in to identify what you probably already know and two it helps promote loyalty to the organization which um, is a completely other topic area that I won't go into here, but I, I get why you're doing it. It's, um, you know, kudos to you for, for going down that pathway. Now, final theme area, and I, I will use the looking glass analogy, the crystal ball, sorry, um, analogy here. Looking back on your leadership pathway, what would you say to a younger version of yourself about being a more effective leader? I would say, like I mentioned before, that a lot of my um, leadership style has been what I didn't like about my previous 
possum for myself. I think I I should have probably looked at some, um, you know, even though there was things I really didn't like about them, I'm sure everyone had something good about them. So I just went straight to the negative. So, you know, everyone has their goods and bads and probably looking to the other other teams um, and seeing if, if their manager, you know, what was good about them. So I probably didn't observe enough, I would say, looking back. Um, I think the... The other thing I would um, probably consider around it is probably putting. I didn't. I didn't have a strong mentor when I when I first first started. It was probably year years into it. Probably being even though I was doing my MBA at the time, I think you know probably having a close mentor that I could um, uh, discuss topics on, like as probably most of the listeners will understand is at the top it's really lonely and you can't really have conversations with with your staff on a few things and so I think when I was younger um, I didn't have the confidence to go talk to someone like I always thought oh well maybe I should be in the role if if I'm trying to get their support so probably um, doing that. I'd say the other part is backing myself a little bit more I think I went in you know knowing that my board originally first didn't want me but then they put me in I think though part of me was still thinking oh I'm still not what they wanted I wasn't good enough and so I think I had a bit of self-doubt and I didn't have the confidence in some of the decisions I thought we needed to make. So I think I, I should have backed myself a little bit better um, would, be, would be the key thing. Um, I'd say the other thing looking back on my journey and it, and um, uh, it, it's not that I felt like I've done this wrong, but if I'm talking back to my younger self is I think the, the big thing about being a leader is also admitting when you make mistakes and you get it wrong as we all do it. And, you know, how how do you have the confidence to be able to go to your team and say, yeah, I've made the wrong call, own it, live it, breathe it. You know, I, I don't think I sort of understood myself enough to understand how to go through it. I knew that was an important principle and I've always done it, but I don't think I looked after myself in the preparedness to, you know, publicly meaning you've done something wrong and it should have been done better so you know understanding yourself um and I'd say yeah take take care of yourself you know it's 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 a long journey it's a lot of hours there's a lot of sacrifices so um that's that's the key thing I was going to say I've done it once but I'm going to say I'm going to give it advice to a young young leader um around what was important so when I started this role I mentioned before was I was coming out of maternity leave so my daughter was two and I wanted to go back to an organization that I didn't feel guilty about leaving her I didn't want mother's mother's regret the one thing I did was I made it very clear what that meant being a mother meant to me and also having this role and and you can see sort of the uh the younger generation having this now but I don't think leaders do this and I made it clear to my board was I was finishing at 4 30 I was going home having time with my daughter but then I'll get back to work 
that was a non-negotiable. So I, I said I wasn't going to take the role unless I could have, you know, I had two hours with her before she fell asleep. That was a non-negotiable for me if they wanted me in the role. And I said, I'm happy to work weekends. I'm happy to work when she's asleep, but I need my two hours in the, at the afternoon, evening to be able to still be a mother because that's who I genuinely still am. So I think, you know, you need to be able to, it's give and take. So knowing that, yes, I would have to do hours afterwards um, if required. But I think as, as leaders, we can't forget who these other people are and we need to model it myself, ourselves for our other generations. So I make sure that um, we've been a family-friendly organisation since the day I've started. And I've always said to my team, you are not to miss those crazy, ridiculous assemblies that your student, your, your kids have. You're going to them. If you want to go to sports day, you can go to them. But I had to do it too. You know, like I couldn't just talk about it. I had to actually show and be honest with my team, my team and say, I've got the morning off, I'm going to a cross-country event or something like that. So I think it is to your younger self as a leader, you need to know what's important for your team and you have to model that from day one. You cannot just talk it. If you want to have a flexible, family-friendly workplace, you have to do it as well because, you know, there's times I've been pulled up and I said, you tell us not to work on the weekends, but we know you were working. I'm like, oh, yes, that is true. Yes, okay, sorry about that. Because they're watching and you, you need to be aware that they're watching. Yeah, 100%. Thank you. That's um, some sage advice there. And uh, living your values and showing that you're living your values is, is critically important. And when people move on, they remember that about the people that they led. So if you're true to yourself and you treat others with that degree of, of respect and um yeah that, that's amazing a really nice way to end the podcast anita thank you for your time no worries thank you so much for having me i've enjoyed having a chat that concludes our podcast for today i'd like to thank anita for sharing her insights into her leadership journey and again i'd like to thank you for joining the podcast and supporting what we're trying to do if you liked what you're hearing please drop a like or subscribe to help us grow the channel it's been a busy october i'm looking forward to presenting four new podcasts in november and that will be the end of our podcast series for 2023 and i look forward to starting again in february of 2024 have a great day rest of your week and we'll catch everyone on the next episode of talking leadership tv